Truth News Network. A virus surfaces, and the elite shut down the world with a cocktail of lies, deceptions, pressures, threats, and violence, locking up the tellers of truth like political prisoners of the Cold War. Well, here we are, telling the truth, fighting the fight, the lies, the deception. TNN, the Truth News Network. And your fearless leader is Dan Newman. What did that famous singer, Cher, Sonny and Cher, remember them? What did they sing? They sang and the beat goes on and it goes on and it goes on and on and on. And the beat, of course, we're talking about today is the chaos that in that introduction there, Pete Moss mentioned to you. They lock us up. They lock us up over COVID-19. They lock us up over what we post on social media, ignoring the First Amendment that gives us all the right to speak our minds. And the beat goes on, folks. Here we are today. (laughs) We're already in the second week of July. You would think that 18 months into this COVID-19 pandemic, that our experts would have figured things out, that we, we would be on a on a path to where things were going to be good again. Folks, it's anything but that. It's anything but that. And so let me ask you this. Are you despondent? Are you discouraged? Are you down and you don't understand? You're looking for answers and you can't find them. And just when you think you find one about one very important thing, you find out that it's not factual, that it's a lie. And what's even worse is we're getting these lies couched as facts from some of the greatest experts in America, many of them elected, some just bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. Others are titans of industry, industry, corporations like Amazon, Twitter, Facebook, Google, all purport to be service industries to provide for the goods and the needs and the services of the American people. And they do that in a way, but what they're doing at the same time is they're capturing and they're demanding us to release more of our freedoms to them. This is just really spooky. That's all I can say today. And we're really good at being chronological investigators and reporting on what we find on everything that has come our way since the inception of Truth News Network, we've always been able to dig through and find facts and bring those to you. We're still digging, folks. We haven't found any of the absolutes to do with anything regarding big media, regarding big government, and regarding COVID-19. We've got more about that during the show today. But I want to start at the one thing that has captured the attention of everybody around the United States, and it has become probably the biggest issue of the day. And I'm talking about critical race theory. Now, before we get into that, let me just point something out. You remember when Donald Trump was even running for president? Hadn't been elected yet. You remember I told you he's an expert showman, and what good showmen do is when they're among people, if they've got something they want to either hide from you for a while or surprise you with it, what do they do? They draw your attention to their right hand where the stuff that is really just kind of cool and okay, they let you see that. But what is really going on is concealed in the other hand behind their back. We've been pretty good 
pretty successful at finding that left hand and what it holds behind the backs of these experts. And honestly, when we find it, when a lot of other Americans find it, news agencies and individuals, private citizens, and begin to speak about it and share, here comes the big tech guys, and they shut us down. Twitter accounts blocked. Facebook posts deleted. Facebook accounts blocked and then deleted. Google won't let certain topics go up on YouTube. And just when you think after all of this has come into the public marketplace, and everybody sees and knows it, you would think that those who protect us, that each swore an oath to protect the U.S. Constitution and all it provides to us as the structure, the backbone, the framework of this nation, just when We look to them when these horrible things happen by these big sycophants, these big individuals at the heads of Facebook, Twitter, Google. They just kind of look at us and cross their arms and say, so? They're doing nothing. They're not even enforcing the laws. Look at what's happening at the southern border. Look at what's happening in our major cities. Violence, criminal violence is skyrocketed. I've never seen anything at this level in my entire lifetime of 67 years. And so what are we as Americans supposed to do if we can't find facts? And the people we've always looked to to give us facts, they give us information. But it's seldom factual. We're going to get into all of that. We've got southern border stuff to talk about. We have to talk about a trip by one of the Homeland Security experts to Guatemala and what went on down there behind closed doors that we were able to pull the door open and get some inside information for you. It won't surprise you, but it's going to make you angry. So there's a whole lot more going on, folks, than we can even uh, just mention in this opening. But let's jump, let's jump right in. Let's talk about the biggie right now. It's pushed COVID-19. It's pushed the virus variants. It's pushed that to the side. Even the debacle, the crisis at our southern border. I'm talking about critical race theory. I bet you would have never put two biggies together until this story today. What two? COVID-19 along with critical race theory. (laughs) When you put them together, folks, That makes for strange bedfellows. So a a coordinated effort by the far left and their media accomplices is in full swing regarding CRT, critical race theory. They're scrambling to paint the narrative that parent, parent concern about public education and critical race theory, of course, is a manufactured fairy tale and it was just invented by who? Their words far right-wing Looney Tune activists, conspirators, and extremists. And the 900-pound gorilla in the room is that it was COVID-19 that opened the eyes of all these parents, exposing the corrupt teacher union educrat monopoly, education, you like that? Educrat monopoly that's plaguing our public education. And we can call it the education cartel. It's comprised of teachers, union activists, administrators, school board members, and their cohorts in the leftist media. 
So this education cartel flew largely under the radar prior to COVID, and it was blindsided. This cartel was blindsided. Sunlight really is the best disinfectant, and the pandemic exposed these ringleaders that were operating under the veil of educating our kids as nothing more than a bunch of tyrants. But their jig is up, folks. No better example of this can be found than in Northern Virginia's Fairfax and Loudoun counties, where liberals outnumber conservatives in both of those areas of Virginia. And until recently, most people couldn't even name a single member of their school board. Ah, things change. (laughs) Now the board members are household names around Northern Virginia. As COVID upended normal life for all of us, parents got their own education, and one by one, the shoes began to drop. Shoe number one. Critical race theory was exposed, so what happens first? Unions dug in their heels, opposing those school reopenings. It was all connected, folks. COVID-19, critical race theories, and powerful unions. Their power and influence had been established for so long, they were convinced they were invincible. They never thought about that they might be overplaying their hand. The longer they insisted on keeping kids locked out of school, the angrier parents became. And the more the spotlight shone on what their kids were learning, it got worse and worse. How did the light get shined into this? This is the COVID piece of this. Zoom school and COVID moms and dads locked up at home. And guess what? That online learning, it was exposed. Critical race theory was exposed because now the parents begin to see what these teachers and these union members and these administrators had been pushing into the minds of our children. Second shoe to drop, critical race theory. Parents got an education on the indoctrination of their kids with those radical concepts, all based around skin color. You know, we all know the way to fight racism is get some more racism and throw it at the old racism, right? Courtesy of the Zoom classroom, parents witnessed teachers injecting racial division into their lesson plans. And the third and final shoe, gender policies and First Amendment rights. So increasingly packed school board meetings, I'm sure you've seen several of them online. I mean, parents are in these meetings and they're demanding to be heard and it's loud and it's ugly. These school board meetings, they're now media circuses. And when a Loudoun County public school teacher offered his opinion on a controversial proposed policy regarding transgenderism, the school board, who had all gone woke, you know that, they suspended him. Even after they were inundated with support from parents for that teacher, a a, a really good guy named Tanner Cross, I've seen him interviewed three or four times the last few days, He's pretty sharp, and his heart is in the right place, and his head's in the same place his heart is. The school board announced they're appealing a court order requiring them to give him his job back. Rather than call a truth with parents, the board is doubling down. So here's a message from TNN Live to those school board members. The same message they sent to the parents. School board members, you said to the parents this thing, I'm saying it to you, go stick it. 
now that the parents are enlightened, they in many cases are paying substantial amounts of money in property taxes in Virginia, by the way. Very expensive there, and those property taxes fund what? Public schools. These parents are packing school board meetings across the country to push back on the severe overreach of this tyrannical school board and power-drunk teacher unions. But instead of answers and compassion or respectful dialogue, they just cut their microphones off at these school board meetings. (laughs) That's going to solve a lot. So while it is absolutely arrogant, condescending, abhorrent, insert any number of adjectives, that they would treat parents like second-class citizens, complete with all the discrimination they rail against. They're doing it themselves. These education cartels have been free-ranging it with our kids' education for years. They've just now been exposed thanks to COVID-19. Their reaction, it didn't surprise me. It surprised a lot of parents. You would think once confronted, these school board members and these teachers would be, say, Yeah, you know what? Let's sit down and discuss this. Nope. Their reaction is typical of political activists, not public servants. Instead of working with the parents they supposedly serve, they've launched a political smear campaign against those very parents. In Loudoun County, for instance, they set up a Facebook group targeting parents who dare disagree with their education cartel, including... CRT, critical race theory, but a bunch of other stuff as well. Group members create a list of names, addresses, employers, etc. of the parents who don't toe the line that the school board and the unions have drawn. Patty Hidalgo Menders, who's a parent from Loudoun County, was one of those that was targeted. She said this, they put three pictures of me in there. This is the Facebook group page. And they call me a racist. They had my first and last name, the name of my husband, where my son goes to high school, what town I live in. And they call me disgusting, she said. Among those who's who in the group doing the targeting, the Loudoun County public school staff, as in taxpayer-funded government employees, uh, also including school board members and a prosecutor in Loudoun County, whose salary is also paid for by these parents. Maybe next time we think about and revisit that bullying thing in schools, we might ought to think of including the adults in the public education system. So this cartel is imploding, and they need a better PR strategy because attacking parents, it ain't working. Nevertheless, They just double down and triple down on stupid. Their cavalry of reinforcement is working overtime. Virginia Democrat State Delegate Marcus Simon chose the white supremacist route, saying that many of the parents that are advocating for open schools are part of the Ku Klux Klan, referencing a substantial group of parents in Fairfax County who've organized and they've tirelessly advocated to get the schools open again, he said this, we know who is an ally of this movement. I'm not saying everybody who supports open the school systems back is a member of the KKK, but when the KKK is on your side, you need to rethink your priorities. 
So if you want your kids to have a respectable education in the classroom, according to these educators, union leaders, you're a racist. You almost can't make this stuff up, folks. You remember Terry McAuliffe, former governor of Virginia, running again now? He's a Democrat nominee for governor in Virginia, upcoming election next year. He just brushed off concerns of thousands of parents that were storming Virginia school board meetings, furious over the indoctrination of critical race theory being shoved down the throats of our kids. And McAuliffe called that a right-wing conspiracy. Conspiracy would mean it's not happening. Horse hockey, it's happening. If you go online and just Google, do a search. What is critical race theory and what does it include? It's there in plain sight, folks. If McAuliffe wants to take a break from counting his campaign money that he got from the teachers' unions, he just might be interested to know that many parents who are part of the so-called right-wing conspiracy are Democrats. It turns out that when it comes to CRT and indoctrinating our kids, parents are politically colorblind. In my mind, folks, kids trump politics. Kids trump politics every single time. So these union terror tactics are all part of their effort to shut up and shut down parents. There is zero tolerance for debate and dialogue. They literally just turn their mics off at these school board meetings. Parents will not be intimidated. They won't be bullied. They won't be silenced by these tyrants running our public school system. COVID-19 unleashed a giant spotlight on the education monopoly. And it turns out it has very little to do with educating our kids. Parents who are now armed with facts on their side are not going away. So as this debate over critical race theory in schools reaches an even higher fever pitch, the two national teachers unions have entered the fray, all in folks, vowing to defend their members against any backlash over how they teach about the nation's complicated history. Their term, our nation's history, is complicated, and guess with what? Race and racism. Both unions. They have presented one single underlying message. Teachers must be honest about racial injustices so that students learn to think critically about how the country's problematic past has shaped its really problematic present, right? Any efforts to restrict those conversations in the classroom, now this is the union speaking, are nothing more than censorship. The backlash to teaching about race that you see in these radicalized circles is going to hurt kids. That's according to American Federation of Teachers President Randy Weingarten in an interview. I felt the need to make it crystal clear to teachers that I honor their professional responsibilities and that their union will have their back. But put that in the context of this. Already through yesterday, 26 states have either passed or they've introduced bills or taken other steps to limit how teachers can discuss racism in the classroom. Nine states have already enacted laws. Many right-leaning policymakers have said they're trying to keep the critical race theory out of K-12 schools. 
Critical race theory has become highly politicized. There's no doubt about that. Experts say that any efforts by the unions to support its use in the classroom will be met by attacks from conservative groups. Now, Weingarten, Randy Gein, or Weingarten, she's already taken steps to distance her union from the rhetoric, but she's not recanning on the importance of and the ability to continue teaching critical race theory. And she's adamant about it. I mean, folks, she is 100% in your face with it. Listen to her speaking to her union yesterday. Everyone who wants American democracy to endure, don't thwart this process. Let's discover the truth. Which brings me to another attempt to suppress the truth. The new cultural campaign, some lawmakers and Fox News are using to distort history, limit learning, and stoke fears about our public schools. Let's be clear. Critical race theory is not taught in elementary schools or middle schools or high schools. It's a method of examination taught in law school and in college that helps analyze whether systemic racism exists, and in particular, whether it has an effect on law and public policy. But culture warriors are labeling any discussion of race, racism, or discrimination as CRT to try to make it toxic. They are bullying teachers and trying to stop us from teaching students accurate history. But you, the professionals in the classroom, just like you do the formative assessments, just like you're trying to do everything you can to engage kids, just like you've tried to keep kids safe and engaged in this last 16 months, you, the professionals in the classroom, you, the people who use your expertise to help our students succeed, you know better. We teach history, not hate. Because no matter our color, our background, or our zip code, we want our kids to have an education that imparts honesty about who we are, integrity about how we treat others, and courage to do what's right. That actually, to me, sounds like the interpreted speeches that I read as a kid when I was actually learning about American history, and they would have Adolf Hitler. They would have his speeches, fiery speeches in front of people in Germany. And when they were interpreted, he basically said what Weingarten just said. But it wasn't just about public education. It was about we have the truth. We know the truth. And her justification for CRT in schools, and by the way, she lied when she said it's not being taught uh, until kids get into high school. That's a bunch of BS. 
It's being taught to second, third, fourth, fifth graders across the nation. That's been proven to be factual. She knew this soundbite was going to go national, and she wanted everybody in the nation to hear her proclaim that the educators that are teaching critical race theory, they're doing the necessary job. And for people like, oh, Fox News to even report about it and bring on people in dissidence, that's racist in itself. And she also said, we're just teaching them about the truth of history. Well, yeah, there are a lot of white people that are racist, but they're not racist because they're white. They're racist because they have adopted voluntarily the theory, the thinking, all of the stuff that goes on to having a racist-driven life, everything. And yet, what her union is advocating is more racism on the part of people in government to kill racism. How does that add up? It doesn't, folks. And they don't care about it adding up. They don't care. It's their talking points. It's their mantra. And so everybody else, just shut up and sit down. So let's be clear in closing. Teachers' unions, they've become too powerful, too politically partisan, and too arrogant for parents to continue their benign trust of kids to the care of these teachers. Leaders of teachers' unions are rejecting the belief that parents, when entrusting their children to public school teachers, do so believing these teachers know better than parents everything that is best for the kids. Many teachers are in the tank for critical race theory. Even though believing it obliterates American history and justifies all to see the world through a lens that sees only the skin color of every person. And because when you see skin color, nowadays, according to critical race theory, if your skin color is white, you're prone to racism. So your default position in your life is that you're a born racist because you're white And you've got to be deprogrammed somehow. How do you get deprogrammed from being white? (laughs) That ain't going to happen, folks. But we weren't taught that by public school teachers. None of that. We were taught all about getting along with people who have differences, opinions, skin color, ethnicity, religions. We get along with everybody. We learn to work with differences in other people and accept them, and figure out how to find some commonality. And I'm going to end this asking a question. Is it fair to say that big government and big public education feel that unilateral authorization they have to assume the nurturing of our kids on everything in their lives? Did Hillary... Did she really mean when she published her book, It Takes a Village, that the village was comprised only of public school teachers and education administrators? So I'm just one guy. I got one opinion on this. I would never, never give the responsibility to teach teach our kids. Marianne and I would never do it in any unilateral fashion without knowing in advance what they were going to be taught. And if we disagreed with what comprised that teaching, our kids wouldn't have attended a school that 
teaches that. Let's face it. These educators are afraid, especially the union members and leaders. They're afraid of what will happen now because parents have awakened and they understand kids are no longer receiving education in public schools. The parents' horror is that they've discovered their kids are instead attending school and are being indoctrinated with the political hackery promoted by Democrat socialist politicians who have already accepted millions of dollars, by the way, folks, in campaign contributions from who? These teachers' unions. So follow the money. Follow the money. Nobody, nobody makes a big campaign contribution unless they are comfortable that if it ever comes to it and they ever pick up the phone to call to ask for a favor from whoever the contribution goes to, that they're going to get at least a listen with a lean towards supporting that person's opinion. That's why I hate politics. I hate it. The late, great Rush Limbaugh said early in his career, after he had been on the air, he was the only conservative talk show host on the air for yet, for years. Lots of uh, leftists tried it. Every one of them failed. Callers kept calling in asking him, why don't you run for office? Why don't you get into politics and he very succinctly explained the reason why he said first of all I'm not wealthy so I couldn't fund my own campaign which means I'd have to ask somebody to give me money to support my campaign and he said the kind of person I am if I ask you to do something for me and you do it for me and whenever you come back to me and you need me to do a favor even though I may not think the favor they're asking for is good I'm going to be obligated to do it. Quid pro quo. Quid pro quo. And so, of course, yesterday, the president and his wife, Dr. Jill, they were up and promoting, guess what? Critical race theory. Critical race theory. So these teachers unions have an advocate in the White House, actually have a pair, Mr. and Mrs. Joe Biden. And so now, you just heard Weingarten do a raucous speech that was riddled with incorrect and untruthful information. They're supported in this quest to inject critical race theory into thinking the thought process in the minds of all our kids. In other words, folks, they want your baby to grow up thinking if they're white, they're automatically evil because... They're racist just because of their skin color. Back in a moment. Cars today are computers on wheels. That's it. Uh, The fancy new tech makes our life easier in the car. But when something breaks, can you afford to fix the touchscreen display or the sensor, which can cost thousands of dollars? Most likely, no. That's why I have CarShield, and it takes away the worry and the panic of the expensive repair that you know is coming. CarShield, their protection plans can save you thousands for covered repairs, including everything from an engine, transmission, GPS, electronics, and more. You can have your favorite mechanic or dealership do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary roadside assistance and a rental car. It's inevitable something's going to break. It happens to everybody, including me. So get coverage from America's number one 
auto protection company like I did and find out why CarShield cars go farther. Rates are as low as $99 a month, so visit CarShield.com. Use the promo code IHEART to save 10%. That's CarShield.com, promo code IHEART. Deductible may apply. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for the $3.99 6-inch sub of the day. How do you want it? Secret DJ set. At a retirement home? Weird. I like it. DJ sandwich in the house. What did he say? Italian BMT $3.99. I called the EMT? Turkey breast $3.99. How much? $3.99. $3.99. Bingo! Time of participating shops. Prices and subs included may vary. Additional charge for extras plus tax. No additional discounts or coupons applied. In a world of change, one thing remains constant. The bedrock of truth. Welcome to the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. Just as a reminder, folks, just because you think something's right doesn't make it right. Just because you think something's true doesn't mean it's true. So find the truth. If it's important enough for you to process in your mind and your thought life, find the facts, make decisions, make choices based on the realities. I, I, we have a we have a follower here at TNN Live. He's a doctor, Leonard J. Hurtko. Dr. Hurtko. And he lives in Orland Park. You know, I'm not sure what state that is in. Anyway, he... Uh, he wrote this in Senate. This is interesting. Listen to this. This is this is a physician. And he says, this is a physician's perspective of Joe Biden. In my 42 years of practicing medicine, he said, at an academic medical center, the U.S. Navy, private practice, I always felt comforted that our president was physically and mentally capable of performing the duties of his office until now. Please allow me to elaborate on President Biden's health. In February of 1988, Biden sustained the rupture of the cerebral aneurysm, almost died except for the heroic efforts of his neurosurgeon. Three months later, a second aneurysm had to be clipped. After the second procedure, his neurosurgeon gave him less than a 50% chance of a full recovery. With that history, one would think that the media would have questioned him during his campaign for president about whether any diagnostic studies had been done in the interim, but they didn't question him at all. His health status was never seriously questioned. On his most recently published physical exam, it was noted that he has persistent atrial fibrillation. That's a regular heartbeat. This diagnosis alone wouldn't qualify him for a standard life insurance policy because of a five-fold increase of a stroke. The treatment for this condition is chronic anticoagulation, which, in a feeble, unsteady 78, 79-year-old male who falls three times while ascending the stairs of Air Force One, is pretty risky. A severe fall with a head injury could result in a fatal cerebral hemorrhage. His mental and cognitive status is obviously deteriorated 
as is apparent to anybody who watches him speak, despite his handler's attempts to protect him as much as possible. Speaking in short sentences with frequent pauses, the need for notes to answer questions, using jumbled words without meaning, short-term memory lapses, like he forgot the name of General Austin and two female generals that he is honoring. All of these are definite signs of brain damage. This is Dr. Leonard J. Hurtko sending this. He continued, Dr. Jill, who knew his shortcomings better than anyone else, could not have talked him out of taking the most difficult job in the world. Of interest also is the fact that since 9-11, it's been the U.S. government policy to have the president and vice president travel separately. Not anymore. Kamala Harris is only a few steps behind him, whether by air, land, or sea. This is obviously because he may say the wrong thing, fall, or have a medical emergency. He would also be the first president to have the nuclear button removed from his sole use. So where does this lead us, the doctor asked. It tells me that Kamala Harris will be our president sooner rather than later. This alone sends shivers up my spine. The Democrat Party, directed, of course, by Barack Obama, knew this would be the case, despite the fact that she received the fewest votes of any candidate for president in the crowded Democratic primaries. So much for democracy. Kamala Harris was second only to Bernie Sanders on the socialist Marxist scorecard, and this resonates very well with Barack Obama's ideology nurtured by the Saul Alinsky playbook. So Dr. Hertke finished by writing this. So what can we do? First of all, I recommend that you pray fervently because divine intervention is probably going to be necessary. Secondly, I recommend that you pay very close attention to the midterm elections in 2022 next year and vote for the people who love America and who love our democracy. Wow. I think Dr. Hurtko hit the nail on the head. I just think that. I'm not a physician, but I'm. you just did too, listening to one. Meanwhile, have you ever wondered what people around the world think about our president and what's going on in our nation today? They always do. I've been overseas a pretty good bit the last six or seven years, and every time I go and I'm introduced as an American, one of the things that always came up first was, what about, what about Donald Trump? What about Donald Trump? Folks, it's, it's important to everybody around the world, everybody else, that the leader of the free world, i.e. the president of the United States, whoever it is at the time, be doing a good job, be all there, not having physical and mental problems. And they notice things. So this president's acuity, it's pretty obvious, according to our friends down under in Australia at Sky News, They say it's obvious that Biden's mental acuity has declined to such a low level that he probably couldn't find his way home after dark. That's their sentence, not mine. So Sky News acknowledged on air that it received a heavy volume of emails about President Biden's intellectual presence after the cable news network has described Biden as struggling, barely cogent, and a human corpse deep in the stages of progressive cognitive decline. And that coverage continued this week. This came from them yesterday. Quote, 
Many of you wrote to me about Joe Biden. That's host Alan Jones, who you've heard here several times. Alan Jones played more footage of Biden's confusion when he was talking about this. He continued, Suddenly, the world's greatest power is in the hands of a slightly dazed bloke who looks like he's always waking up from heavy anesthesia. Alan Jones from Sky News said that. He also quoted New York Post columnist Kyle Smith, who asked this, whether it's safe for Biden to be near a pair of scissors. So Alan Jones noted that our representative Ronnie Jackson, who is former White House doctor to President Obama and to President Trump, has proposed that Biden take a mental acuity examination at once. It's clear there's no way that Biden would pass such a test to determine his cognitive ability or memory impairment, said Jones. The disturbing thing in Australia is that the free world depends on all you folks in the United States as the unfree world gains momentum. And the free world is run by a bloke who most probably couldn't find his way home after dark. The greater concern, he would be replaced by the ideological dangerous Kamala Harris. So Andrew Bolt, also of Sky News yesterday, his uh, show on Sky News is called The Bolt Report. He played some footage of Biden struggling to answer a reporter's question about Russian hacking when he went up to that Michigan farm store. Biden paused for a ponderously long time, and then he pulled out some note cards to read the answer, <laughs> and somebody had written it for him. He knew the question. That one was going to come. It's just surprising to me. Joe remembered he had the note cards in his pocket and which one to go to. Now, that's me saying that. If Putin sees this footage, again, this is Bolt from Sky News saying this. If Putin sees this footage, and I'm sure he will, what will he conclude about the guy leading the world's biggest superpower? And so on set with Bolt was a guy named Michael Costa. Costa is a former treasurer of New South Wales and a member of the Labor Party there. Costa said this, I believe he realizes he isn't leading the superpower, saying that about uh, Putin, thinking that Biden was the leader of a superpower. Costa says he doesn't think Putin believes that. We can rest assured the American political establishment has a degree of control over policy. I don't think Joe Biden does. So that dovetails with the views of the majority of U.S. citizens. Listen, a new poll from the Trafalgar Group found that 57% of American voters don't believe that Biden is fully executing the duties of his office. In fact, those same people believe somebody else is. Hmm. Interesting stuff, folks. Very interesting stuff. So I don't know if you heard, but early this morning, the jobless claims came out. Not what experts were predicting and certainly not what they wanted to hear about. The initial jobless claims climbed to 373,000 for the week ending last week, July 3rd. Economists polled by EconoDay, they had estimated 353,000 new claims after last week's initial estimate of 364. And by the way, the prior week's claims were revised up to just under 400,000. So why is this still happening? Well, folks, you can't couch it any other way. The Democrats tried. Americans wouldn't sign off on it. Folks are still unemployed. 
And they're sitting at home because they're getting supplemental federal jobless benefits on top of their regular state unemployment aid. And when you put those two together, they make more money sitting at home. That's still happening. Others, those who want to break free of that and go back to work, some of them have health and child care issues that are related to COVID-19. In some cases with careers uncertainty after the recession wiped out many jobs for good. That all filters in together. But certainly the big, big thing in this whole problem of unemployment is because under the Biden administration, the federal unemployment benefits on top of state benefits a lot of these people that really need to go back to work to help go back and rebuild the understructure of our blue-collar economy, they're not going to be there. In meantime, these employers are really struggling. We could go on and on about stories of employers offering these massive bonuses for people just to come to work. A $500 bonus to come to work and flip burgers at McDonald's. It's just unbelievable. And in some cases where these employees were making $8, 9 $10 an hour, they're starting them. If they'll come back at $15 an hour. And, of course, Biden immediately said, he whispered, do you remember this? There was a question one of the reporters asked him in a White House briefing. What do you think about the source of the high unemployment and Americans not going back to work? And Biden leaned over to the microphone and he said, pay them more, pay them more. Folks, paying consumers, paying people more is not going to fix this problem. It's just like corporate income taxes. McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, all of them, they're not going to pay more, their bottom lines are going to remain the same. Well, how is that possible if they have to pay people more? Consumers pay the price, you and I. What are they going to do? They're going to raise the price of the burgers and the fries and the drinks. Home Depot is going to raise the, the price for building supplies. And it just goes all the way across the nation. You know who suffers in all of this? Joe Biden, he thinks it's a great political ploy. Barack Obama felt the same way, by the way. I wonder if there's a connection there. Just, just ask it. The truth that is there and they're hiding from the American people is they know very well who pays the price. I mean, look what you're paying now at the gas pump. You know why you're paying that dollar plus more per gallon at the gas pump? Because of Joe Biden. Now, wait a minute. That's a little brutal, Dan, don't you think? No, I don't think. It's a fact, folks. It's a fact because that never happened in the Trump administration. Why didn't it happen? What changed? Oh, my God. What changed? Day one as president, Biden, he began the quick dismantling of our energy sector. He canceled the XL pipeline. I'm not going to go into all that. You know about that happening. And then he, he canceled, he, it's called a moratorium. It wouldn't be permanent, but the leases to explore for carbon energy on federal lands around the nation, which has been being done since John F. Kennedy was president. And of course, why did Joe do all of that? Well, Barack got in his ear, I'm sure, and said, that's probably a good thing for you to do, Joe. 
but it came from the climatologists, the global warming fanatics. you got to stop this. You've got to get us away from carbon energy. Well, that's okay. Yeah, carbon energy emits a lot of noxious gases into the atmosphere. No question about it. But folks, it was just plain stupid for Joe Biden to do that without having a replacement plan in place. He's not a business guy. He never thought about that. He felt like, and he still does, I'm certain, that there are people that surround him that they take care of all the problems. I just do what they tell me to do. And they told me, we got to stop this energy exploration, carbon, carbon bad, green energy good. And when he was asked immediately after he uh, he put those people that were employees, many of them six-figure jobs, on the XL Pipeline construction project. He was asked what these people are going to do for work, and he said, oh, you don't understand green energy. There are jobs there for these same people. I saw, again, a third visit to a little town in northern Arkansas where a lot of these XL Pipeline folks lived. They all went back there, their permanent homes, when they got put out of work. And here they are, six months later, can't find those green energy jobs that Biden guaranteed them were going to be there for them. It has nothing to do with what's good for the country. It has to do with one thing. It's good for Joe Biden and Democrats and the likes of AOC and the gang and Bernie Sanders. It's good for them because it gives them political chits that they're going to be able to cash later on. Quid pro quo kind of stuff. You know what that is. Wow. And then, what is the other big animal? Let's see, would it be elephant, gorilla? I don't know. I'm running out of big animals in the room with us. Crime. Oh, my goodness, folks. Crime is going through the roof. Why did it all change all of a sudden? What changed? I mean, we've always had crime in the nation. And there have been certain times, especially in major cities, where it got really out of hand. I mean, it just spiked. It went through the roof. New York City back in the 70s, folks, nobody would be on the streets. You wouldn't go to Times Square unless it was in the middle of the day when there were thousands of people around. We're almost at that spot again, folks. Conservative mayors came in, and they tackled the crime problem. Tackling the crime problem is not necessarily making it easier for criminals to evade prosecution for the crimes they commit. That's the world in which we're watching right now play out in cities like Seattle and Portland, Minneapolis, Chicago especially, Philadelphia, Baltimore, New York City, Atlanta, Georgia. Crime going through the roof, and most of it is serious, serious felony criminal activity. And none of the leaders in these cities are taking responsibility, or even governors in the states in which these cities are. They keep pointing to D.C. They keep pointing to Republicans, to conservatives. They keep pointing to the cops. They blame the cops for everything. Defund the cops. We're going to have sociologists that answer 911 calls when somebody's dying. Oh yeah, they're going to bring it up, bring it, bring that person back. None of this stuff makes any sense, and so again and again and again, they just double down on stupid. When they do a press conference or they do an interview, 
city leaders, well-known. I mean, Lori Lightfoot, she's the mayor of the third biggest city in the nation, Chicago. Chicago crime has gone through the roof. Now in interviews, I'm fixing to give you a little bit of one that she gave. She points to some overall crime statistics that, in her words, have declined dramatically. Well, they haven't declined dramatically. Probably if you rolled them all in together, the number of the total may be down. But let me give you a little information. Here's what Lori Lightfoot won't say. And the reporter that you're going to hear ask her these questions, I don't think they understand. There are two ways to report criminal activity in a city, crimes committed. There are two ways to do it. One is the legitimate way. If somebody's arrested for committing a crime, it's very seldom that they're charged with just one thing because often when they commit crimes, there are multiple laws that are being broken. And so they may be charged with two or three things at one time. To be honest about crime in your city, you report in your statistics all the crimes the criminal activity people were arrested for. In other words, if they're arrested for breaking and entering, illegal entry into a private facility, felony battery, that would be, if it, I'm just giving you examples, that could be one arrest, but there are three crimes that were broken. These politicians have learned and they're telling each other, hey, when there's arrest, Stop reporting all the different charges that are made. One arrest is one crime. And Lori Lightfoot has put that into action in Chicago to make herself look better. Listen to this back and forth with this reporter at a press conference. Mayor Lightfoot, William Kelly with Newsmax. Last week, I asked you about Chicago's out-of-control shootings and murders. You said that crime was down. That weekend, we had 70-plus shootings. Last night alone, we had 30-plus shootings. Do you still believe that crime in Chicago is down? So what I said to you last week, what the superintendent said today over and over again, and what the data tells us is this. When you look at homicides and shootings from April, May, and June, we are trending downward. Then The premise of your question, which is it's chaos, everywhere and the fact of the matter is sir which you also didn't point out but i will um so we get this straight is that we're actually seeing a decline in homicides and shootings yes sir you you uh, sir is anybody satisfied with where we are no but the data is the data and it is absolutely trending down and i know from my conversations with other mayors across the country every major city in the united states since 2020 is seeing a surge in violence but what we are seeing here in chicago is a downward trend both in homicides and in shooting again are we satisfied because what you're saying is hey wait there was a shooting someplace in our neighborhood yeah there are shootings but what we're seeing in the data is a year over year month over month decline comparing last night's 30 plus shootings 
to last year when we had an out-of-control race riot in which almost every member of the city of Chicago was, in fact, a victim, uh, seems to be uh, playing with those numbers. You uh, were on Chicago Tonight. You said that 99.9% of the criticism of you is because you're a black woman. How much of this do you think might have to do with the fact that you're a woman and specifically a black woman? About 99% of it. Do you honestly believe that, considering so you're, you're, the way the city council, you're, 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 the city council of Chicago, is obviously made you're, up of you're, many you're, black women who criticize you? Do you really believe that the criticism of you is 99.9 percent based on the fact that you're a black woman? So you said about 15 things, most of which were wrong. We didn't have race riots last summer. That's no. No, I, I, no, I, no, no, no. I know, I know you have political aspirations. I know you those political aspirations haven't been fulfilled. You're a failed uh, political candidate over and over again. But what you don't have the right to do is make up facts. We did not have race riots in our city last year. That's just wrong. And it's incendiary. Now, I know that's what Newsmax likes to do. But I'm not going to let you take liberty with the facts. So you're not going to answer my question? I, I answered your question. Your question, frankly, was insulting. You um, said you conflated the fact that there are members of color um, on the on the on the police, on the um, city council, and that somehow I don't have a right to say, as a black woman, as a as a lesbian, um, that I don't believe my belief that some of the criticism is based solely on the basis of my gender and my race. That's my personal. That's my personal opinion, sir. You don't have a right to criticize my personal opinion. So I, I'm. I think I've answered your question as best I can, and now we're moving on. At Newsmax, reporter had some guts to hang in there with Lori Lightfoot. And you notice throughout the entire segment of the interview there, she just got angrier and angrier. And then at the very end there, she pulled the race card. She pulled the sex, sexual preference card and plays that because you don't have facts to back it up. He gave her facts. Everything's getting better in Chicago, she said, as far as crime goes. Meanwhile, Hundred people shot over this past weekend in Chicago, 28 killed. Everything's good. Everything's great up there, right? A hundred shoots, hundred people got shot. 28 people died because of violence. This is an attitude, folks, that very, very, very egregiously is spreading around among our nation's leaders at every level, local, state, and federal that the picture of what is playing out on the landscape of the United States across the board every day, it's okay, and it's better under Joe Biden than it was under Donald Trump. Well, maybe not so. We're going to dive into that after this short message here at TNN Live. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&Ms. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate, so you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes! M&M's dark chocolate candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. No way! Taco Bell's Toasted Cheddar Chalupa is back! Are you thinking what I'm thinking? 
They toasted six-month-old aged cheddar right onto the shell of a chalupa. Best genius, no delicious, no both. And now it comes in a box with a crunchy taco, cinnamon twist, and a medium drink? Whoa. Oh, sorry, this is, this is my stop. Oh, uh, cool. We're all thinking it. The $5 toasted cheddar chalupa box is back. Only at Taco Bell. At limited participating U.S. locations for a limited time only. Contact local store for prices, hours, and participation, which vary. Tax extra, drinks, excludes, freezes. So it's this beautiful summer day, and while most guys would say, let's go to the beach, Donnie says, Hey, let's go to Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City. They're having a warehouse sale. I say, are you serious? He says, Your place needs furniture, and at this sale, you can get beautiful stuff and save 50, 60, even 80%. So we go to the Pilgrim Warehouse Sale. I buy a sofa, a love seat, and this really cute dinette set. But the big thing is, we pick it out together, Donnie and me. Maybe this relationship is going somewhere. The Warehouse Sale at Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City. Drinking water is essential to your health. That's why you need to drink plenty of water to keep you hydrated throughout the day. Unlike power drinks or soft drinks, water is truly the only drink that can quench your thirst. It's an easy, refreshing way to keep your body healthy and strong. Freshen up today with a brisk, cool bottle of water. Locked and Loaded with Truth Ammo. Taking aim at the problem, it's Dan Newman. All I got in my quiver is uh, arrows marked T-R-U-T-H, Truth. So we're going to just drop in on a couple of more mentions about specific criminal activity that's ongoing around the nation that it just seems to be going nowhere. Nobody in government is really paying attention to it right now. And let me just say this. Supporters of the Biden administration, they'll say right now, you know, criminal activity in Chicago, um, in Seattle, in Portland, and in cities around the nation, that's not the federal government's responsibility. That's supposed to be handled at the state level. Yeah, it is. But so are a lot of other things, like elections. But the feds, they just want to cherry pick all the powers and the responsibilities of the states that they have around the nation and bring them back to D.C. because they want to use them as their weapons in their quiver to use against us and anybody that's an opponent of their egregious policies. They don't want to be told the real truth. Like this, Oakland, Oakland, California, they're in the middle of a safety emergency. That's what they're calling it. And it's highlighted by more violence seen over last weekend's holiday weekend. Oakland Police Chief LaRon Armstrong told reporters that their department responded to seven shootings in the city from Sunday night to just Monday morning, calling the violence 12 hours of nonstop chaos. That is what concerning the chief said. The level of celebratory gunfire. Hadn't heard about that yet. Yeah, you know, you see it on television all the time. These crazies. When they do something good, they'll put those rifles up in the air and start shooting into the air. Those bullets come down. Every one of them comes down somewhere. And there are people that are actually wounded, seriously, some killed by those bullets coming out of the air. And the police chief said the level of celebratory gunfire is something we hadn't seen before. Does this department, he's talking about his police department in Oakland, do we need resources Clearly we do. We are clearly outnumbered. Our city has not seen this level of violence in many, many years. 
And folks, I remember back in the 60s and the early 70s, I mean, you know, that's where Berkeley, Berkeley's a suburb of Oakland. That's the most liberal education headquarters in the world. And there were all kinds of horrible criminal acts, riots, looting, all of those kind of things. It was like night after night, kind of like uh, Portland is today, right? But this police chief says, we hadn't seen this level of violence in many, many years. And so let's go back to Chicago for just a moment. You just heard Mayor Lightfoot talking about how great things are as far as criminal activity going down, 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 down in Chicago. She said that the day after it was confirmed, 100 people got shot in her city over the weekend. 28 of them died. Well, yesterday, an Indiana police officer. Now, remember the proximity. Indiana is just, uh, it borders against Illinois. And Chicago, uh, from northwest Indiana, it's it's less than 60 miles or so to the city of Chicago. So an Indiana police officer was shot and killed near a federal building in Chicago yesterday. But that was just an hour after an officer in Chicago, along with two federal agents, were shot. And they were working undercover. Terre Haute, Indiana, Detective Greg Ferenczi, who is a 30-year veteran of the police force, was shot outside a federal building near the Vigo County Courthouse The officer was on an assignment with an FBI task force on behalf of the Terre Haute, Indiana Police Department at the time. If you look around the country, just look around the country, it seems like this is happening every single day. I don't know when it's going to stop. Hmm. It's not a good time to be a police officer in America. Every day it's just... Instance like this after, it's kind of like, oh, no big deal, another shooting, another murder, no big deal. It's Chicago. That's the way we roll in the Windy City. Americans are tired of this, folks. We're tired of all of this power being consumed by these far-left politicians that are supposed to just be governing. They each take an oath of office to serve and protect the people that put them in office. And then when they don't do their jobs, they start blaming all kinds of political ideologies and others. They don't want to take accountability for any of their wrongdoing. But if you're a conservative, folks, and you mess up, if you step out of line, you're done. You're absolutely finished. They'll do everything they can within their power to destroy the rest of your life. And I mean, they don't even apologize. They make no excuse. They just do it. They just do it. I'm I'm, I'm trying not to be bringing you gloom and doom. But it's just factual information. Let me clue you in on another one you probably haven't heard about. You know those computer chips? If you've ordered a new car this year, and you go to a car lot, you want to buy a new car, in post-COVID pandemic. Um, If you order a luxury car and you're used to all of those little quirky things, you know, like the rearview mirrors on the side of your car, um, they have that little thing, that little notification thing that pops up when somebody pulls up beside you and is in your blind spot so you'll know somebody's there, things like that in a car. They're they're all operated and you got to have microchips in the computers in your car to do it. Well, these factories 
they're sending cars out, even cars that were ordered specifically to include things like that and some satellite technology and all those kind of things. And when the cars come in, they're not on there because the factory doesn't have the microchips that go into those particular options that you can pick on a new car. Well, Britain's largest microchip factory on July 4th, four days ago, think about that. Britain's largest microchip factory was taken over by a Chinese company. Think about that. So Britain now, they allowed the Chinese to come in and take over total control of that microchip factory. And it's already facing a chip shortage worldwide. The Newport Wafer Fab in South Wales has taken control of the Dutch Semiconductor Fab, Nexperia, which in turn is controlled by the Chinese electronics company Wingtech. Nexperia made use of a clause in their contract to take over the Newport Wafer Fab. Wafer's what they call these um, computer chips. They made an agreement in 2019 whereby the Dutch Fab supported Newport Wafer Fab in exchange for putting it up as collateral. So the British firm, they were unable to meet the stipulated manufacturing agreement as it was badly affected by the pandemic and the global chip shortage. So the Dutch firm arranged to settle the 65 million pound debt in exchange for keeping Newport Wafer Fab. Now follow all of that around. British firm owned the company and it got a deal put together with a Dutch fab which was owned primarily by the Chinese. And so now because of default on the contract the Chinese they control the largest microchip factory in Britain. Just one more little thing. It's happening on Joe Biden's watch. Now, he has no say-so in what goes on in any other country, nor does anybody here in the United States. But the mainstream media didn't tell you about that. That's an important deal because we've got to understand just how far-reaching are those who are our enemies in the globe and how wide their reach into our lives is growing every day. Folks, if we knew everything in the United States that the Chinese government owns, if we understood that, we'd be scared to death. Everybody thinks, oh, they're our biggest creditor. We owe them more money than anybody on earth. No, that's not the case. What we do over here is we just open up the door and let anybody come in. If you got the money, you can buy anything you want in the United States. Real estate, corporations, influence in politics, it's all up for sale. All up for sale. Everybody has a price. Everything has a price. Now this, um, this stuff going on about the violence in our cities... It's not just guns, folks. It's just rioting and looting that happened. Monday, fireworks thrown at cops from a crowd while other cops jumped on, other, other rioters jumped on cop cars in downtown Chicago. Dozens of them were arrested. Nobody's going to be held. You know all the mayhem that took place in the middle of the pandemic in Manhattan. All those rioters and looters and people that beat on cops and stuff like that, folks, that were arrested. 
Do you know none of those people are being prosecuted? None of them are being prosecuted. De Blasio's watch basically said, let them all go. And the few that were guilty of really serious crimes, they were allowed to be released on their own recognizance, which means they weren't required required to pay bail. So nobody has any assurance that the victims of these crimes are going to see any accountability from the people that perpetrated the crimes on them because the city said, we're going to let them go. They don't have to pay bail. So there's no reason for these people not to just skip town, not to come back and face a trial. Again, more and more and more stuff happening. Did you hear about Donald Trump's suit, lawsuit? He initiated a class action suit against Google. And of course, what this is about, class action means that a bunch of other people can join in. Well, yesterday, Google got busted by a lawsuit from a group of state attorneys. This is different from the former president's suit. But the state attorney generals jointly filed this suit alleging violation of antitrust laws by Google's Android app store. So these 36 attorney generals and the District of Columbia sued Google in a 144-page complaint filed in Northern California in federal court. The group alleges Google's Play Store for Android apps violates antitrust laws. The suit maintains and it centers on the control Google is able to exert on its store, allowing it to collect commissions of up to 30% on digital transactions within side apps that they put up on their, on their uh, website, installed on Android-powered smartphones. Those devices represent more than 80% of the worldwide smart, smartphone market. So which states are involved in this? Utah, North Carolina, Tennessee, New York, Arizona, Colorado, Iowa, and Nebraska. And so it marks the fourth major antitrust lawsuit filed by U.S. government agencies against Google since October of two years ago. Other lawsuits against Google include one filed by a bipartisan coalition of states, one filed the Department of Justice. It echoes allegations made against the company by mobile game maker Epic Games in August of 2020, and that case hadn't come to trial yet. The complaint contends that Google has deployed various ways and set up anti-competitive barriers to ensure it distributes more than 90% of the apps on Android devices. That's a market share that the attorneys general argue represents an illegal monopoly. It all turns into dollars and cents, folks. Those apps, people pay for them. If you have an Android phone, you go to the Google Play Store if there's an app, and sometimes you have to buy the app. But other times you get the app free, but as you start to use the services that come with that app, there are what they call in-app purchases. So if you want to take advantage of one service or one particular thing in an app, you got to buy access to that service. And because Google dominates it, it's a monopoly by federal law. Google must be held accountable for harming small businesses and consumers. That's from Utah Attorney General Reyes. 
It must stop using its monopolistic power and hyper-dominant market position to unlawfully leverage billions of added dollars from smaller companies, competitors, and consumers beyond what should be paid. Google, of course, called it meritless. (laughs) Oh, you can't sue us. You just can't do it. We're Google. (laughs) We're Google. That's all that matters because we're Google and we're so big and we're big tech, we're untouchable. You can't reach us. You know what? It may be true. Isn't it interesting that in the Democrat primaries when they were running for the spot to run against Donald Trump for president, all of those that were running, they all on stage in debates, they came out against all the big tech giants for antitrust activities, owning, having monopolistic power to control their sector of the economy. This may have happened before you were living, but uh, AT&T used to, they used to control like 99% of the phone services here in the United States. Well, the Department of Justice at the time came in and filed a suit. The court rendered in the favor of the U.S. people. That's the DOJ case. And AT&T had to divest itself of all its telephone operations at the time. Same kind of situation is sitting here with Google. Do you ever hear anybody talk about doing an Internet search? Uh, you need to do a search on that. No, they don't do that. You know what they say. Google that. It's become the way to search the Internet. Now, there there are competitors out there, but guess what Google does? They're not a 900-pound gorilla in the room when it comes to Internet searches. They are the, I can't even say the number of billions of pound animals they are. And they can destroy anybody they want to that's in their business. They just have that capability. So that's the Google case. Now back to the Trump case. Yesterday, MSNBC, the legal analyst Barbara McQuaid, she was on the Katie Tour Reports show. I'm sure you watch it breathlessly every day. Let me just be completely honest with you. I'm in this business. This is what I do. I've never heard of Barbara McQuaid, who, according to this story, is MSNBC's legal analyst. And I've never even heard of Katie Tour, T-U-R. Oh, well. Just thought I'd throw that in. Anyway, this legal analyst yesterday on that show maintained that Donald Trump's lawsuit challenging his Twitter and Facebook bans were dead on arrival. So there was a guest anchor yesterday, Jeff Bennett, who I also don't have a clue who he is. And he responded. He asked her, Barbara, it strikes me if this suit is not dismissed, It is going to be opening up Donald Trump to discovery. Oh, we know he wants to hide everything, all the wrongdoing that he's guilty of. What wrongdoing? Oh, it doesn't matter. We know he's evil. Yeah, we went through three years of Robert Mueller and found squat. $45 million and 20 of the nation's nastiest attorneys, they couldn't find anything with which to charge Trump. McQuaid said after she was talked to about that by Bennett, that is absolutely right, Jeff. And she continued, this case is dead on arrival. I think that President Trump and his lawyers know it. I think this is more of a PR stunt than a legal case. They know this case will be summarily dismissed. And that just adds to the talking points that even the courts are out to get him. 
So not only are these people news reporters, they're prophets. They're seers. They know what the courts are going to say. Why would they say that? Because it fits the political narrative that all of MSNBC's six or 700 viewers share. McQuaid added this, the First Amendment is very clear. It says, Congress shall pass no law. The courts have interpreted that to mean any form of government. So whether it's the executive branch or the legislative branch, the government cannot restrict free speech. But Google and Twitter, ha ha ha, they're private actors. Just as much as you or I could throw somebody out of our homes if they came inside our homes, started screaming at our guests, in the same way as Google and Twitter can throw people off their platforms if they abuse their terms of service, I think this will be dismissed. I think Trump and his lawyers know they will never have to reach that moment of reckoning by providing discovery. In other words, they're already preparing the way. What they're saying is the court's going to throw it out and, oh, man, we kind of hate that. No, there's no merit to the case, but we kind of hate it because there would surely be discovery in the lawsuit by Donald Trump, which means Donald Trump and his attorneys would have to reveal to the, the, the lawyers for these big tech companies, Facebook and Twitter, the lawyers would have access and could actually have depositions and ask questions that people in the Trump organization would have to answer. I got to be honest with you. Now, here's the way I think about this. I'm going to back into it. If I'm Donald Trump and I got a lot to hide, I'm sure as heck not going to not going to file a lawsuit in which I know discovery is going to expose everything. And so they they think that way, opposite. <laughs> so they think the reason Trump filed the suit is to make political score points with conservatives in what they know is absolutely going to be a bid for the presidency in 2024 by Trump. They think about all this stuff, folks. Talk about conspiracy theorists. They think that Trump would do this just to score political points, knowing full well it's going to be thrown out of court and therefore nobody will have access to all of the wrongdoing that Donald Trump is known he, that's what he does. He cheats all the time. He steals. He breaks internet laws. They can't believe that a billionaire would not have a back pocket full of wrongdoing. That's the way they think, folks. That's the way it is. Don't go anywhere back after this. Unforgettable what you are. Léa Dutton perfume, like the memory of a beautiful song. He sits in judgment, he stands for the law, kind of looks like a hero and sounds like your paw. What He smiles and he laughs, his voice tinged with gravel, but the bad guys gasp when he bangs his big gavel. Wapner. Judge Wapner. Judge Wapner. When neighbors brawl, when lovers refute, when suppliers and buyers and liars dispute. Wapner won't let those law books get dusty. Got a buddy named Doug and a sidekick named Rusty. Rusty. With Wapner. Judge Wapner. Doesn't do it from towers, doesn't do it from steeples. He does it in court. A court called People's. Wapner. People's Court. 
Judge Wapner. Call him your honor. Judge Wapner. Judge Wapner rules on the people's court. Song over. Song over. Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry dragon fruit and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Separating fact from fiction. Arming you with the ammunition of liberty. The truth on TNN. Truthnewsnet.org. All these folks on the far left, especially the media sycophants, they are just all in. I mean, even the vice president, Kamala Harris, when she was running for president, and she was at the time the attorney general for the state of California, when those um, Minneapolis riots and protests broke out and all those people were being arrested up there, she started and actually uh, went public asking people to donate money to this fund that would pay the bail for all of those people that were charged up there. I thought that was kind of odd that somebody that was running for president, I mean, most Americans support the rule of law. They support people paying for what they do that's illegal. I mean, I don't know a single conservative that thinks they should not have to pay for any criminal act that, they, that uh, they've committed. But yet Kamala Harris, I mean, she was about to or she wanted to take an oath of office to um, protect the U.S. Constitution and the rule of law, which she did take, as a matter of fact, as vice president. And uh, before that, she was actually suborning the criminality of these people in Minneapolis and Seattle that were arrested for what they say were peaceful protests, but they weren't. They were violence, rioting, looting. People were hurt. I mean, Some people hurt very seriously through all of that. Well, listen to this latest. A still-incarcerated convicted murderer made history in our nation's capital when voters recently elected him. This guy is still in jail. He's a convicted murderer, and he ran for office while he was in jail, and he was elected to one of the District of Columbia's advisory neighborhood commissions which advised the local government on neighborhood issues like police protection, parking, zoning, liquor licenses, and even trash pickup. His name is Joel Caston. He's age 44. He's been in jail for 26 years, folks, after a jury convicted him of first-degree murder in an ambush slaying of a, of a guy named Rafiq Washington, who was 18 at the time. And this guy, Caston, the convicted murderer, is expected to be released from the D.C. Central Detention Facility earlier or next year, earlier than the year end or sometime early next year. Getting elected while you're still in jail is difficult, but it's not impossible. Another example, Joseph Morrissey, originally a Democrat, was re-elected as an independent to the Virginia House of Delegates in January of 2015. That was the month after he was sentenced to six months in jail. It was a misdemeanor charge for contributing to the delinquency of a minor. It wasn't like Caston, who was convicted when he ran for office and won it after committing murder. 
Morrissey, by the way, is now a member of the Virginia Senate and is once again in a Democrat. Folks, this kind of stuff, I just cannot reconcile it. I don't know where you are in your thinking, but my goodness, I know you don't have to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody screws up, and I think everybody owns a chance. But with that process, with the reconciliation, with forgiveness, you want a biblical lesson here real cheap? Everybody has a right to have their sins forgiven. And I think that runs downstream into our government. The Bible's very clear. We're supposed to, as Christians, support the law, even when we disagree with the law. Peter got in Jesus' face over paying taxes back then. You remember that? They didn't have any money. They didn't work for a living. They left their fisherman's job, did most of those apostles, disciples, and followed Jesus. So it's time for the Roman Empire that was over Israel at the time. It wasn't a nation at the time, but uh, the Christians were, they came under the rule of Caesar. And so Peter was griping at Jesus about, what do we do? How can they do that? You're the son of God. We don't owe Caesar anything. And Jesus made this remark, render unto Caesar what is his. In other words, he's teaching Christians going forward that if we live in a country and we have people that are put in authority over us, we're supposed to abide by the laws that those we put in office or that are in office or in control over us, what they tell us to do. And so Peter said, I don't, we don't have any money to pay our, those taxes. And so Jesus went over and got a fish, and there was a coin in his mouth that he handed to Peter to go do it. Now, that hadn't yet happened to me sometimes when I need to pay a bill. I wish it would, but the point wasn't about that. The point was accountability. And accountability means this. I guess it was best illustrated. You probably heard this story sometime. A a judge hears a case. The jury convicts this person. I'm going to pause just a second. I got to swallow something. This jury convicts this young man. And when it comes time for the sentence to be levied by the judge, the young man that was just convicted by the jury stands in front of the judge and the judge says, any last words? And the kid just breaks down. He says, Your Honor, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. I am so sorry I made a mistake. Everybody makes a mistake, he told the judge. He said, Judge, you probably have too. Maybe not as serious as this in your life, but you got a second chance. Will you forgive me? The young man asked the judge, and the judge looked at him and said, Son, I can forgive you, but I can't forget what you've done. There's accountability. And even in the process of uh, repenting for sins, for things that we commit, maybe against other people, maybe against God, we ask for forgiveness. Well, God wants to forgive us, and we humans should forgive each other when people wrong us. And we're instructed biblically to do so. But, The word repentance doesn't mean to tell somebody, I'm sorry. That's part of the process. But the word repentance means literally to turn and walk away from. In other words, I messed up. I'm not going to do it again. Please forgive me for it. 
But I understand there may be some accountability. I may have to pay for what I did wrong. There's a big difference there. How did we get to that from people being behind bars and running for office? I don't know, but it all ties in together there, folks. Everybody's not perfect. Everybody makes mistakes, but what comes with it is accountability for the mistakes we made. Another little scriptural fundamental from Genesis 8:22, right after the flood, when Noah and God were talking about what just happened, God promised as long as the world exists, he told Noah, these four things will always be in place. Number one, there will always be light and dark. There will always be hot and cold. There'll always be winter and summer. And there will always be reap and sow. Now, those four things that God said would never change, there's only one of those things that we have any control or any input in, and that's the last part, the reap and sow, or seed time and harvest is the way I think the uh, King James Version reads. But what that means is every time you do something, every time a farmer puts a seed in the ground, something's going to grow from that seed. In other words, when you put something in the ground of your life, you plant a seed, you do something there, it's going to grow up, and what is going to grow up is exactly what you put in the ground or the the product that comes from that. So I've mentioned this before on this show. Most of us think when we want to get away with something, we may be sorry for it. We may ask for forgiveness, but we want it just to go away like that boy. Can you forgive me, Your Honor? Yeah, I can forgive you, but there's still seed you put in the ground. I can't do away with that. That principle, according to God, Genesis 8:22, it's always going to be that way. So when you're tempted to take the authority to just berate somebody for making mistakes, remember what you're doing. You're sowing seed and fruits are going to grow. Something's going to grow from what you do wrong. And you may be thinking you're doing it for a worthy cause or even truthfully, but if you're not the one that's supposed to be doing it, you just need to walk away from it. Don't make it yours because then you become responsible for your reactions to it and those seeds that you may plant by taking authority and saying, that's a bad thing. You did a bad thing and you got to pay the price for your bad stuff. But then when it comes your time, you want to be forgiven. You want a second chance. You got that lesson free. In other words, don't plant watermelons. Don't plant watermelon seeds and walk out back and watch the ground and hope that that watermelon seed is going to come back as peaches. It doesn't work that way. When you sow in the ground anger, anger's coming back. Sometimes hatred, it goes to the next level. When you sow forgiveness, forgiveness will come back to you. Do unto others what you would have them do to you. So here we are. We're in Independence Week. July 4th behind us. But there's a lot of stuff going on that people are seeing and getting different explanations about. Wondering what what's happening. Used to, if you were in the left, if you were a Democrat especially, you gave anybody that was a Democrat a free pass for anything. I mean, after all, Democrats are the anointed ones. They get to uh, run the nation right now. They have the House. They have the U.S. Senate, and they have the White House. So what do you think Americans feel 
about that liberty and justice for all thing, that Declaration of Independence thing, that we're supposed to everybody have the right for that. We don't have to beg for it, don't have to ask for it. In the United States, according to the Declaration of Independence, liberty and justice for all, equal justice for all under the law. The latest Rasmussen Report's National Telephone and Online Survey finds that 50% of American adults think that the United States is a nation with liberty and justice for all. 38% disagree. 11% are not sure. Politics now affects everything. I mean everything. Everything is politicized. However, even basic beliefs in America, as expressed by our Pledge of Allegiance. While 74% of Republicans and 49% of those not affiliated with either major party think that the U.S. is a nation with liberty and justice for all, only 33% of Democrats agree. A majority of Democrats say America is not a nation of liberty and justice for all. Now, why would that be? Democrats control politics, government in the United States, almost unilaterally now. With that thought in mind, majorities of every demographic wouldn't want to leave America, even those that scream and holler and say, hey, America's evil. If they could live anywhere in the world, 72% would live in the United States. Only 18% say they would rather live somewhere else. 11%, they're not sure. The survey of 1,000 U.S. American adults was conducted between June 28th and 29th by Rasmussen. Men, 56%, or more likely than women, 45%, to believe America is a nation with liberty and justice for all. Majorities of old Americans believe the U.S. is still a nation with liberty and justice for all. Only 29% of women under 40 share that belief. 52% of whites only 35% of blacks believe the nation is one of liberty and justice for all. 54% of other minorities share that same belief. Married people, 59% more likely than unmarried. 41% to think that America is a place that provides liberty and justice for all. And even Americans who don't believe the U.S. does so, 51% would rather live here than anywhere else in the world. I guess what that does, folks, it illustrates that sometimes the media don't have it right. They they either know it and don't report us the truth, or they don't know it. I don't know whichever it is, but what we need to do is we need to plug in and find ways to get facts. And by the way, Rasmussen reports. Now, I'm a member. It's an online news agency that does polling, and they're very, very reputable. You can go take a look at what they put up, RasmussenReports.com, R-A-S-M-U-S-S-E-N Reports.com. And they do polling. They publish polls almost every day. Now, there are stories and things that the only way you can get them is by subscribing. And I've subscribed, which I do to a lot of different uh, uh, websites, news websites and information sources. And it's not real expensive. I don't, I don't even remember the cost. But it's always nice when you hear these um, news reporters spout these, these surveys and these polls. You do understand that a real good pollster can make the results of any poll that they're taking. 
they can make it turn out the percentages that they want it to turn out. How can they do that? Well, you can affect the mix politically of those who you poll. Now, nationally, it's been the case, at least in the last two presidential elections, that uh, Democrats far outpace in percentage the numbers of Republicans. And so when these reputable polling engines, entities, when they do these polls, they weight the results of the polls based upon the mix politically by party, which necessarily means between uh, liberals and conservatives, among the number of those they call. Now, when they call or when they do an online survey, they ask for your specific political affiliation. And the number, I think it's about 7 or 8% more Democrats registered in the United States than are Republicans. And so to make it fair, if you got in your phone call survey results numbers that are different from that, different, what are you talking about? Where Democrats that answer are numbered 7% more than Republicans that answer. You adjust your results to affect that. And you reveal that. You reveal that. But as you can understand from that explanation, those pollsters can make the numbers pretty much turn out. They can weight them, and they weight them all the time, but weight them unfairly. And through the campaign cycle for the presidential election last year, when we looked at the liberal polling entities out there and they disclosed their mix. They always, they gave the same numbers, but they didn't rank or they didn't consider the differences, the numbers of fewer Republicans that answered questions than did Democrats. They left them just the same, which always made the results look much, much better for Democrats in the nation. And look what it did. Democrats regained control of the House and they took control of the U.S. Senate. So as every president is required to do by the U.S. Constitution, this president put out a proposed budget. So more than 170 of the 535 members of Congress joined together and are demanding that the budget for next year That budget should prevent taxpayer money from being used to fund abortion. And that's all in a letter they sent to Joe Biden. 170. I know it's not half. That doesn't mean that half of our government, half of 535, are abortion purveyors. Not saying that at all. I'm just saying 170 U.S. lawmakers think it's such a big deal. They signed on a letter demanding that the president prevent in our budget Taxpayer dollars being used to fund abortion. All presidents since 1977 supported that landmark Hyde Amendment that we've given information from to you ad nauseum since we've been doing this. The Hyde Amendment did just that. It was an amendment that wasn't put in any specific piece of legislation, but it was out there and termed and titled the Hyde Amendment. It came up after Roe v. Wade back in 1971, I think. And it didn't outlaw the Hyde Amendment. It doesn't weigh in on the validity or the rightness or the wrongness of abortions. It just says, hey, we're not going to make Americans pay for abortions. We're not going to make them do it through their tax dollars. So the Hyde Amendment prevents tax dollars from being used for abortions. 
the budget submitted by the Biden administration eliminates the Hyde Amendment. It's an affront to the majority of Americans who don't want their tax dollars funding abortion or demands resulting in the death of children in the womb, one lawmaker said in the letter. They add, the key to the Hyde Amendment's four and a half decades longevity is that its purpose is clear and it's commonsensical. It prohibits the use of taxpayer dollars, federal taxpayer funds, for abortions, with some exceptions. The prohibition is given on the basis that a great many taxpayers object to abortion on moral or religious grounds, and therefore it's unconscionable to force them to pay for abortions by using their tax dollars for that purpose. I don't know where you stand on it. I really don't. Pro or con. I am definitely, I'm pro-life. Always have been. I think life begins at inception. Way back in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, God spoke to Isaiah and it was documented. Now this is before Christ, before Christ had been born. God told Isaiah, excuse me, this is Jeremiah, told Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew you. Now how would the creator of the world know somebody before they were born if they weren't human? before they were born. Just an interesting thought I'd throw in there. Hyde Amendment, it's up. This is a big deal. It'll turn into a brawl, and this will be used ad nauseum in the midterm elections. You can bet on that. The 22 budget goes into effect, I think, October 1 is the beginning of our fiscal year. So we'll see if the budget is adopted by Congress and if it is adopted, if Joe Biden will take out that exclusion of the Hyde Amendment. So we hadn't talked about our southern border debacle. (laughs) It's still a debacle. I know you may not want to hear about it or talk about it, but there's still stuff going on. There are thousands and thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of immigrants that are being treated poorly, and most of them, in great part at least, or kids. It's just really nasty, folks. And uh, it just gets to all our our hearts. And a couple of whistleblowers have come forward with some inside information that is not very healthy about stuff happening in the Biden administration. We're going to check in with them after this. Morning phase. You get it when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah! What is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Run! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got mace. Ow, that went in my eyes. Quit moving. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA Sultan mattresses. IKEA, love your home. Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks, just like when you were a kid. Remember the naturally sweet raisins? Yup, still delicious. And so are sun-made's other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and sun-made's new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sun-made snacks. 
Missing persons. Missing persons? Missing persons. My wife is missing. Your wife is missing? My wife is missing. When did you last see her? Four o'clock. Four o'clock. Four o'clock. Where's your TV, sir? The bedroom. Have you looked in the bedroom, sir? Uh, no. She's probably watching Matlock. Matlock is on at four o'clock? Every weekday at four on Channel 2. Go check your bedroom, sir. I'll wait. Okay. I'm here. She's watching Matlock. I thought so. I didn't know Matlock was on at 4 o'clock. Every weekday at 4 on Channel 2. She really likes Andy Griffith. Of course she does. She must be so engrossed by Matlock she forgot to tell me where she was. Tell her I understand. Okay, I'll be right back. No, I didn't mean... Uh, sir? Matlock, every weekday at 4 on Channel 2. Hey, my favorite episode. Because there's nothing like a good mystery. I'm hanging up now, sir. I guess the worst piece of our southern border invasion by these illegals that are propagated and maintained and actually endorsed and uh, increasing in intensity and acceptance by the, the Biden administration, the ones hurt the worst are these kids. So a couple of people came forward, workers who had helped care for migrant kids on that military base outside of El Paso. They came forward and they came forward to talk about what they were seeing when they were there at Fort Bliss, which is a military base outside of El Paso, where thousands of young immigrants were housed there in large tents in the middle of a continuing surge of illegals. The site started taking kids in late March, and about 800 remained as of July 1. 800 kids there in tents on a military base outside of El Paso. Have you ever been to El Paso? You ever been to El Paso in July? I can't imagine the problem these 800 kids are having being outdoors, no air conditioning, in El Paso. These two whistleblowers, Laurie Elkin and Justin Miller, they said in their whistleblower complaint that they saw major issues, but they were discouraged from reporting what they witnessed including they were told to provide no feedback during their first 10 days of work there. Now, these two people, folks, these were not just volunteers. They're both attorneys, and they're attorneys in the Chicago District Office of the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. They ignored the warnings that they had heard, and they both filed complaints with the Department of Health and Human Services. But the concerns theirs were ignored, No remedial action has been taken. So what were some of these conditions they saw? Crowding of children in tents, making it hard or impossible to see those kids or help the kids that were in distress. Noise being at an intolerable volume. Tents dirty, often having a foul odor that smelled like a locker room. Dust and sand were everywhere. I mean, that happens in El Paso. Sandstorms happen all the time, especially during the summer. Clean bedding and clothes were not regularly provided. Although many kids were housed in these tents for as long as two months or more, it appears their bedding was never washed. Never. Not washed very seldom. Was never washed. And some of these kids had been there for two months when they saw this actually going on. Many beds, they said, were visibly dirty. 
Kids also told them about having insufficient clean underwear and socks. Well, that made kids reluctant to exercise or to bathe because they knew they wouldn't get clean clothes to change into. They said it wasn't uncommon in the girls' tent, for example, for the kids to plead for clean underwear so that they could take a shower and have something clean to change into afterwards. These two lawyers said the biggest problem there was the use of staffers they felt were unsuitable for the job. Contractors with that company, SurfPro, you see their ads on TV all the time. Their website states it is a national leader in fire, water, mold, and other cleanup and restoration services. They're in charge of these kids. Youth care is not in SurfPro's portfolio. Contractor staff told Ms. Elkin and Mr. Malaire that they'd received no training prior to starting to work there, had hardly any guidance about they were actually even supposed to do. And that's in the whistleblower report. After witnessing these horrible conditions at Fort Bliss, their whistleblower claim contains this. We feel it is our obligation to speak out, regardless of your views about immigration policy. The reality is that these unaccompanied children are here now and are in U.S. custody. HHS must act now to ensure the children are treated in a safe and humane manner. The time our clients spent at Fort Bliss were alarming. Each day seemed to bring new examples of deficiencies in the care of the kids and the resulting risk to their health. Instances of gross mismanagement were pervasive. And they didn't even want to go into the sexual assaults that were happening almost daily, especially to young girls. A 17-year-old girl from Guatemala said she was at Fort Bliss at the emergency site for two months. During that time, she had higher blood pressure stemming from anxiety due to bright lights that made it hard to sleep. She had nowhere to be alone or have any privacy. I spend most of my time here lying in my bunk, sometimes crying. I only get up to go to meals or to go to the bathroom. And that's included in this whistleblower report. Most kids who spoke to Dr. Paul Wise, who is a special expert that helps keep tabs on these facilities around the southern border, were positive when describing the basic conditions at the Fort Bliss site. That's according to a separate filing in the same case. Still, the miners complained about no privacy, delays in making calls to family members, having to wait for weeks between appointments with case management staffers and not being able to get clean underwear, take showers, etc., etc. So, you remember our vice president went to El Paso last month. Yeah, 80-something days after she was appointed the southern border czar, her first visit, almost three months before she went to the southern border. Her spokesman told reporters that the president has instructed top officials to probe the conditions at the Fort Bliss site. The administration is taking this very seriously, extremely seriously, Simone Sanders said. So how many kids? What are we talking about? Well, the number went over 20,000 earlier this year after President Biden's administration loosened the number of Trump-era border restrictions. As of July 5th, at this one facility, there are 14,539 children in HHS custody. You got that? 14,539 in Health and Human Services custody. 
928 more in the custody of Customs and Border Protection. Does that sound like um, Biden is taking care of his commitments to these illegals that he is encouraging through his policies to come to our southern border? Meanwhile, he's doing that. Guess who went to Guatemala? Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, he met with the President, Alejandro Giamatti, on Tuesday. Spanish Newswire EFE quoted the DHS Secretary as saying he discussed creating, quote, other legal paths so that people don't need to migrate irregularly, putting their lives or their kids or their trust in people who don't have permits at risk. The fact that people leave Guatemala for different reasons, he said, is driving them to put their lives at the discretion of traffickers in whose hands we can't guarantee their safety. We have started and developed programs so that the population doesn't have to travel in any secure, insecure way. He went down there for a two-day visit. He noted the U.S. already provides Guatemalas and H-2B visas for temporary jobs, H-2A visas for agricultural work. Of course, that would be the legal way to get there. And so instead of taking care of what we got, instead of taking care of the stuff on our plate, let's think about new ways, things that we can do new in this regard. Instead of saying, y'all stop coming. We're not going to let you in unless you come legally. Novel idea. Mayorkas, by the way, he took that same oath of office. You know, the one where he said he swore to protect and serve and to abide by constitutional law. That's a wrap, folks. Thursday this week is gone. Oh, my goodness. Thankfully, we'll have a weekend. Tomorrow morning will be our last show at this location. Studios of TNN Live are moving. We're not going anywhere, but we are moving. And we'll keep you posted on on all that. You have a great Thursday. Stay in touch. We'll see you tomorrow morning right here at Truth News Live. TNN Live, truthnewsnet.org. Your dirty sweet